Blog Talk Radio. It's been a long road Getting from there to here It's been a long time But my time is finally near But I can feel the change in the wind right now Nothing's in my way Dr. Jess Armine coming to you from the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine here in southeastern Pennsylvania. Welcome, everybody. It's been a couple of weeks since I've been on the air, but as the, I would say it, he's back. <laughs> okay, he's tanned, he's rested, he's ready. Not really, but hey, you know, if you keep saying, saying it to yourself, one of these days you'll believe it. Anyway, we have an incredibly special show tonight on the subject that everybody, but everybody, is, you know, clamoring about, MTHFR and methylation. So I thought, keeping to my uh, back-to-basics kind of uh, genre, that we would do a primer on MTHFR and methylation, essentially saying, what's the big deal? Okay, so I spent a lot of time writing a uh, PowerPoint which is a PDF now. If you would like to get it before we continue to talk, you can go to my website, drjessarmine.com, which is also www.bioindividualmed.com. Go to the weekly radio show and click on that. You can listen to the radio show from there, and also that is where the PDF is. Just click it. It will download, and we will be following each other along. So I, am, uh, I, have, I have a very good special announcement uh, in a little while. Um, you'll notice if you are looking at the um, logo, it has changed. And instead of, the, instead of the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine, it says M-A-B-I-M. Uh, and I'm going to explain that in a little while, okay, because it's really, really, really exciting. Uh, my friend Sean Bean bought me this incredible microphone a really professional one, and I tried to hook it up so you could hear me much better, but uh, apparently it created a lot of uh, feedback when I tested it out. So um, I'm back on my regular microphone. Hopefully everyone can hear me. If you guys can't hear me, some somebody send up a flare or send me a message or text me or something, okay? So hopefully everybody has the PDF at this time because we're going to start going through it and start talking about methylation. Uh, please understand that this is a very, very big subject, and we only have an hour, and I'd like to leave a little time for people to ask questions. So 
Ooh. There you can get the images is at my website, drjessarmine.com. If you look at the very top of the chat, okay, it's got a link for you to go to, and that's where the um, that's where the uh, PDF for the for this show is. Okay, I'm going to leave things just the way they are now, and I am hopefully. Um, if anybody else in the chat room, I see a couple of my patients in there. If you guys can chime in and let me know that you can actually hear me, okay, um, it would be very, very helpful, okay? Because if we can't, if I can't, okay, everybody else um, tells me that it's okay. So uh, I apologize for those who cannot hear me. Uh, it sounds like... Uh, everybody else is saying that it is working. So I'm going to go ahead, okay, and uh, I apologize if there's some people who uh, have some difficulty, okay? So let us let us begin. Yes, MTHFR and methylation, what is the big deal? Okay, if you don't have the PDF, it can be gotten at drjessarmine.com, D-R-J-E-S-S-A-R-M-I-N-E.com, and go to our weekly radio show. Uh, click that, and that's where the PDF is, and that's where the visuals are, okay? So, uh, acknowledgments, okay? I, on the research for this podcast was taken from the writings of MTHFR pioneer Sterling Hill Erdi, the creator of MTHFRsupport.com, and Sterling's app. Uh, the ebook MTHFR Basics by Benjamin Lynch, naturopath, Dr. Ben, which is available on Amazon.com. Some writings by Dr. Amy Asco and any other references uh, will be made on specific pages. My intention here was to and is to give you a flavor for what MTHFR and methylation is all about and to dispel the misguidance that MTHFR by itself is a horrible thing that if you have it, um, you know, something horrible is going to happen. So let's put things in their perspective. Okay, and thank you for being patient with me trying to figure out um, what was wrong with the um, with the uh, sound, okay? So you've been diagnosed with MTHFR, okay? And reasonably so, you're going to say to yourself, am I sick? If I have it, will my kids have it too? Are they sick? Is there a cue? Should I start getting my affairs in order? Uh, by the way, what the heck is it? Okay, MTHFR, quite frankly, is a gene. Okay, we're, we're all into genetics these days. It's a gene. The epigenome that we talk about are the genome is kind of what makes you human. It's your DNA. Think of the epigenome as those genes that control all your biochemical processes. Okay, that's not exactly 100% correct, but it's a, it's a good visualization. Uh, MTHFR is a gene that encodes or creates an enzyme. Enzymes, amongst other things, make our body, body's biochemistry work, okay? It's known by many names. It's been, <laughs> it's been known by names like the mother-father gene or some other unsavory names. But MTHFR means methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. Okay, and as I always mention to any of my patients or anybody who's listened to me lecture, if I say something really fast, it means <laughs> it gives you permission to ignore it, okay? It's important that you understand the concept, not the fact that I can actually pronounce these words. 
what is MTHFR's function? Okay, from the book MTHFR Basics, MTHFR changes dietary folate and folic acid, which is useless in and of itself, into forms that the body can use, like methylfolate. I want to let everybody know that folic acid is just not a good way to supplement your need for folate. Folic acid, and it's been given to lots of people over a long period of time, tends to block folate receptors and is generally bad for you. Okay? And I've got to tell you a really quick story. Um, Dr. Lynch uh, is, is a good man, and, we, you know, we're pretty good friends, and we're, you know, I'm part of his research group, and, you know, we, we go back and forth about a lot of things. And um, you know that Dr. Ben is kind of a real straight shooter. If you've ever watched him uh, lecture, he's, he's very even, even-tempered. He never says a bad word. Uh, he's always the, the quintessential gentleman. Uh, and privately in our groups, uh, I've never seen him curse before until he started talking about folic acid. And I was amazed that he was that vehement about it, but that's how important it is not to be using folic acid or anything that's going to block the folate receptors. Otherwise, your entire methylation, folation, methylation, and transsulfuration process just simply won't work. Active forms of folate like green leafy vegetables, folinic acid, and methylfolate are the best supplementation should you need it. On page six here, okay, I want to give you a little history about MTHFR and why it's considered such a thing. Okay, understand people that MTHFR, methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase, is one gene in a sea of genes. So why do they pick this particular one to study? Because up until a couple of years ago, that was kind of the only gene that you, you ever heard of, okay? Uh, MTHFR is a key regulatory enzyme in folate and homocysteine metabolism. Uh, that's from the molecular biology of MTHFR and an overview of mutations and polymorphisms by Lysine, Sibani, and Rosen. Uh, the American Heart Association uh, tells us that homocysteine is an amino acid in the blood. Too much of it is related to a higher risk of coronary, artery, coronary heart disease, stroke, and peripheral vascular disease. The evidence uh, in the particular study that I've quoted here suggests that homocysteine may promote, at, promote atherosclerosis, hardening of the arteries, by dam damaging the inner lining of the arteries and promoting blood clots. So it was thought that testing for MTHFR would give insight to hyperhomocysteinemia, okay, which is high homocysteine levels in the blood, and be a better cardiac risk indicator. Well, they kind of know, didn't know what was in front of them. So, MTH, MTHFR comes on the scene. In short order, there were reports that those with MTHFR mutations may be at risk for a myriad of health issues. There had been only two genes that were generally studied, the C677T and the A1298C. And let me tell you something, people. There are about 50, 5-0 MTHFR genes, okay? But they chose these to study. I guess these are one of the more active or this is the only ones they knew about. And I want to let you know about some of the conditions that are thought to be associated solely with MTHFR. And I choose my words carefully. So for the C677T, elevated homocysteine, cardiovascular disease, stroke, deep vein thrombosis, peripheral neuropathy, stillbirths, 
and you're going to hear my Brooklyn accent come out once in a while. Preeclampsia, neural tube defects, cleft lip. For the 1298C, depression, anxiety, irritable bowel syndrome, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, dementia, schizophrenia, Parkinson's, uh, BH4 problems. This is a creation of neurotransmitters. Migraines. The combination of C677 and 1298 C, which um, a lot of people uh, call uh, compound heterozygous if they have both heterozygous. Symptoms of both defects only more severe and blood clots. Some things that aggravate the MTHFR mutations, heavy metal exposure from dental amalgams, vaccines, in case anybody doesn't know it, um, there is about, I think it's 25 micrograms, I may be wrong, 25 micrograms of mercury in most vaccines, okay? And um, don't let them fool you. They've changed the name, but the mercury is still there. Uh, fish, aluminum cookware, Aluminum from underarm deodorants, by the way. Okay, that's the way you get most of your aluminum if you're having an aluminum problem. Occupational exposures. And do you know what the biggest source of mercury is? As if anybody can answer me right now. Okay, it's high fructose corn syrup. Okay, about 50 grams of high fructose corn syrup, which is not all that much, has about the same amount of mercury as vaccines do. And don't hold me to the vaccine numbers because I'm just pulling them from the back of my memory at the moment, okay? Uh, other aggravating... Uh, mm, one more time, Jess. Speak the English language. Yes. Uh, more aggravating factors. Poor diet, things like processed foods, hydrogenated fats, anesthesia. Uh, I can't tell you the amount of people that when I do a good history, and I always do a good history, and we look for the patterns of when things happen, that a lot of things happen directly after anesthesia. Of all ilk, general anesthesia, uh, nitrous oxide, stuff like that. The presence of other enzyme defects. I should have put this like in big, bold letters. The presence of other enzyme defects. What this is saying is the presence of other genetic polymorphisms. Comorbid diseases. Comorbid means... Um, other diseases you may have or conditions you may have in addition to whatever you're talking about, diabetes, lymphoma, lighten factor 5. If we go to page 10, but there's a lot more, okay? Uh, cleft palate, tongue-tied babies, bipolar disease, schizophrenia, severe mental illness, hypertension, thrombosis, heart attack, acute lymphoblastic anemia, leukemia, miscarriages, recurrent pregnancy loss, and a myriad of other conditions that are being blamed or have been blamed solely on MTHFR. Problem. Is MTHFR, MTHFR mutations or is MTHFR, whichever is good English, in and of themselves the consummate devil in these conditions? And I say, oh, nay, nay, if you remember the late John Panette, the comedian. Why would I say this? when the literature is replete with references to conditions associated with MTHFR mutations? Well, you'll find out if you join us after the commercial break, which I actually put in there because I want to make an announcement. So on page 13, I am honored to announce the marriage, if you will, of MTHFRsupport.com and Bioindividualized Medicine. 
and the formation of the Institute of Methylation and Bioindividualized Medicine. I think the most common request that I hear and all of my colleagues hear is for healthcare providers who are truly knowledgeable in both methylation and bioindividualized medicine. And frankly, there's not an awful lot of us, and many of you have complained that those people who say that they understand methylation don't. So Sterling Hill Erdai, who is the creator of mthfrsupport.com, her husband, Ishtvan, Cynthia Smith, John, uh, Sean Bean, myself, and IT guru uh, Pete, Peter Santamaria, who does the IT for Sterling's app, have come together not only to form an educational organization, but to create courses in methylation and bioindividualized medicine. Other professionals involved in the future of this institute will include pregnancy expert Car Car Carolyn Ladowski, uh, naturopath of MTHF mthfrsupport.com in Australia. And we have many other experts coming on board. So we're really putting a lot of effort into creating courses for yourselves and for your healthcare providers to assure that they understand methylation and the entirety of bioindividualized medicine. So when is the first course? The first course is going to be in November. It is tentatively scheduled, a little more than tentatively at this point, scheduled for November 8 and 9 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Other classes that are being formed are, are actually going to be formed in Dallas, Australia, and in London for late 2014 and early 2015. I think we're going to be flying places. The classes are for healthcare providers and lay people. Frankly, we don't discriminate. And if you're looking to get on our list and pre-register for the Philadelphia seminar, please go to www.mabim.org, which is methylation and bioindividualizedmedicine.org, and sign up. In this manner, you or your healthcare provider will be notified when registration will begin and will be able to take advantage of the early bird discounts. For this first seminar, space is limited, so if your healthcare provider has been yammering about learning this stuff, or you have been thinking about it, it's time to get up off of that thing and get the training from the experts. And the lecturers uh, this time are going to be myself, Cynthia Smith, and Sean Bean. So, guess what? We've listened. And let me tell you something, we've been working really hard at this, and it's going to be an excellent seminar, and yes, we will be videotaping it, and the video, the video course will be available for download somewhat at, sometime after the uh, actual course is given. So if you can't physically come or you feel like listening to it once would be difficult for understanding, uh, it will be available. So back to MTHFR. I want to give you a sense to where MTHFR fits into the greater scheme of things. So I found this particular schematic, a really simple schematic that shows you the relationship of MTHFR with the folate cycle, methylation cycle, the BH4 cycle, and that's where it kind of sits and has contributions to a lot of different things, okay? And if we go to the next page, I have taken Dr. Yasko's Dr. Yasko's um, methylation drawing, okay, and we're going to go over this a little bit 
piece by piece because it's going to give you a general idea of where MTHFR sits in the greater scheme of things. So if we go to page 17, you'll see the folate and methylation cycle. And it kind of works like this. When you eat folate, it gets turned into tetrahydrofolate. That's the THF you see. Okay, uh, and then it passes by an enzyme called methylene tetrahydrofolate synthase. wonder what that synthesizes. Okay, and it does in fact synthesize folate or tetrahydrofolate to 5,10-methylene tetrahydrofolate. That 5,10-methylene tetrahydrofolate goes past methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase which turns 5,10-methylene tetrahydrofolate into 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate, which is what everybody's given, okay, when everybody sees an MTHFR mutation. Some people need it, some people don't. And as we go along, that product will pass by MTR and MTR to create methionine and methyl B12. The methyl B12 loses its methyl group at some point and has to be remethylated usually by SAMe or the BHMT pathway, yada, yada, yada. It becomes SAH and passes by AHCY to create homocysteine. So what NTHFR does in this part is simply take 510-methylene tetrahydrofolate and make it into the more useful 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. And then it, that particular product goes along its merry way, creating other products that eventually create homocysteine. And if we go to the next page, I'm sorry. Yeah, if we go to the next page, you'll see that MTHFR is also involved in the creation of neurotransmitters with the BH4 pathway. So tyrosine becomes dopamine and tryptophan becomes serotonin. And when tyrosine becomes dopamine, it also becomes norepinephrine, then epinephrine in a particular um, cascade. Okay. Also, this is involved in the transsulfuration cycle. This is how you create glutathione, people. Okay. When it when the products go past AHCY, becomes homocysteine, which goes past cystathione beta synthase. Synthase creates something. And cystathione goes past yet another enzyme called CTH, or cystathionase, breaking it down to cysteine. And with alpha-ketoglutarate, you get glutathione, which is the great antioxidant and antitoxicant. So when you're taking antioxidant compounds, you're supporting glutathione. If this pathway gets a little screwy, you can get a little bit of ammonia or too much ammonia, and this is where a lot of people get brain fog. Okay, and I'm not looking to teach you the entire pathways, but to just give you a sense that MTHFR has contribution here. But guess what? It's not the only thing that one has to look at. So if you look on page 20, if you really want to learn this stuff, uh, you can get this on the Internet. You can find Dr. Ben Lynch's Pathway Planner. This is hot off the presses. This has been created this year. And if you look, it, don't, don't try and look at this one because if you blow it up, it'll you know, make you go booga booga. Okay, but if you look at each of the pathways and look at the cofactors that created things that block things, just take one thing at a time, you'll have a real good understanding of what happens after you... Uh, taking your folates and where they go and what products they create. And you're going to find out that a lot of the cofactors are kind of similar, like zinc, SAMe, magnesium, NAD, FAD, which is B1, B2, B3, okay? And you'll say, gee, if I kind of just get all that stuff in, a lot of these pathways would work, at least so they have the cofactors, okay? So, NTHFR doesn't exist by itself. What do we look for? Okay, how do we know that it's a problem?
Okay, and this information is from Sterling Hill. I, I got a permission to steal it and uh, kind of paraphrase a bunch because it's, like I said, a pretty big, big and long subject. Uh, it, my, my suggestion and everybody's suggestion is that you always find a good support system. There are a lot of good support groups on the Internet that can assist you with questions. Also, you should find a doctor or nutritionist that does understand MTHFR methylation because it has to be put in its place. And um, one needs to know what to treat, how to treat it, which way to treat it, and realize that uh, not everybody needs L-methylfolate or 5-methylfolate, okay? Just because you have an MTHFR SNP, which is single nucleotide polymorphism, uh, and I use the word polymorphism and SNP interchangeably, I apologize, but it just comes out that way, doesn't mean that it's expressing. What does expressing mean? doesn't mean that whatever is associated with MTHFR is happening to you. Okay, if you notice some of the symptoms or some of the conditions, there's lots of things that can cause those conditions. MTHFR is but one of them. And many people have MTHFR uh, who have MTHR need L-methylfolate, but who are the ones that need it? In other words, when you go to your regular physician, they say, oh, you have MTHFR. Here's a, here's a prescription for Deplin. Here's a prescription for 5-methylfolate. Or you go to your, um, any of your practitioners and they see MTHFR and say, okay, you need 5-methylfolate. Not everybody does, okay? But here are some hints that will help you and your healthcare providers get a strong indication of if the gene is expressing or the polymorphism is expressing. If you have um, high folic acid levels, this is a strong indicator that NTHFR is expressing because people who have this gene expression will have trouble converting folic acid into the more bioavailable forms of folate. So believe it or not, if you're seeing high folic acid in your blood, may mean you're not converting it, okay? So your cells are not getting the active form of the folate. Okay, <clears throat> you may see folates that are low, okay, or folic acids that are low, which may mean you're not getting folate-rich foods like eggs, leafy greens, uh, beans, and berries. Uh, the next thing your doctor should do is test for serum folate. Okay, many doctors are giving high doses of L-methylfolate, and it's usually based on just the MTHFR findings, and that's not a good way to do it, okay? Uh, when folate levels, levels are not extremely low, many people have done well with just the regular amount of folate, okay, which is 400 micrograms to 800 micrograms a day, um, along with a folate-rich diet, okay? Not folic acid, but folate, okay? Giving too much L-methylfolate to certain individuals will cause a backup and cause high folic acid levels, and frankly, I've seen a lot of anxiety, anxiety conditions and um, a lot of, if you will, what some people consider overmethylation. Uh, there's a quick question here. What's considered high on the Foley test? It kind of depends on the lab. Okay, you have to look at the, um, at the reference ranges. Okay, I have a, um, a, a way of teaching my patients how to look at those reference ranges. I call it the... Um, the rule of thirds. So if you have a reference range, in your mind you divide it into thirds. If uh, the number you're looking at is kind of in the middle third of the reference range, well, usually that means that you are pretty well at an optimal level. If it's in the lower one-third, you're probably low or it's suboptimal. If it's in the higher third, then um, 
it may or may not be good depending on uh, the situation. And of course, if it's 10 times the, high, the upper level, then you're really out there, okay? Um, interesting, unmetabolized folic acid is one of the risk factors for colorectal cancer, cancer okay? Excess, mm, one more time, just Excess folic acid, not folate, can burn out the folate receptors. The folate receptors don't work, you can't get the folate into the cells. Okay, high levels of L-methylfolate can put a burden on people with COMT, and there's the particular variations. Uh, and COMT, when you have that particular polymorphism, you have a lot of trouble breaking down your excitatory neurotransmitters, otherwise known as catecholamines. And it's a good reason for anxiety disorders or any other kind of excitation that can express a lot of different ways. Methyl donors can elevate, like L-methylfolate, can elevate epinephrine, I just said that. <laughs> Gee, I did read this before. Okay. Low folates can give, give concern towards autoimmune issues since folate plays a role in the immune system. So many people with MTHFR who are expressing and have low folate have things like Hashimoto's thyroiditis or any of the other um, autoimmune diseases. And by the way, if you uh, are suspicious of... Hashimoto's, okay, or any other kind of thyroid problem. Uh, lots of regular physicians test the TSH, which is uh, the thyroid stimulating hormone. You really have to test the free T3, free T4, reverse T3, thyroid peroxidase antibodies, thyroglobulin antibodies, and that kind of gives you an idea of whether the thyroid's being attacked, and that's why it is a thyroiditis because it's getting inflamed. By the way, in case anybody wants to know, the biggest reason for thyroiditis is not autoimmune problems, it is gluten. And there are tons upon tons upon tons of studies that show that why, why people just don't be automatically taken off gluten, I don't know. And by the way, people on low gluten, people who are off gluten and are taking or eating other non-gluten grains, I'm beginning to see allergies or hypersensitivities to the non-gluten grains now, okay? You know what that's all based on, people? It's all based on the leaky gut syndrome, okay? If you have a leaky gut, those grains that are going in are going to react and create antibodies, okay? And eventually, you're going to get sensitive to them, okay? Uh, the story that I can tell you that uh, if anybody remembers, sometimes, <clears throat> I'm sorry, there are a lot of hyperactive kids who you may have heard tell that if you take them off gluten, they get better. No, this is what happens. The gluten that we're eating now, the uh, GMO gluten, is about 400 times, has 400 times more gluten in it than the normal wheat that we used to eat way back when. Okay? So our bodies weren't adapted to that. And so if you even had a little bit of a leaky gut, the gluten started leaking through the gut and started creating antigen-antibody reactions. So all those antibodies to the gluten started building up, and in certain genetic predispositions would stimulate the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. In other words, start pumping out adrenaline. And the kid would get hyperactive, you know, go, go around going booga, 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 booga. So you take him off gluten. Okay, he calms down. Everybody's happy. You put him on soy. I'm just making an example. Don't, don't anybody get angry with me, okay? You put him on soy. And about six months later, he starts reacting to the soy. And the reason he's reacting to the soy is because no one ever fixed the leaky gut. So the soy became an antigen that the body reacted to, okay, and started building up 
the amount of antibodies with each exposure because of the memory T cells that are created. And guess what? It went through the same pathway. Well, I'm beginning to see that with non-gluten grains now. That's why for a lot of people, the paleo diet or the non-grain diets work. But still, guess what? You have to fix the leaky gut. You know, it's like getting back to basics, people. You fix the leaky gut, you can get rid of a lot of inflammation because you stop the antigenic entry. But that's another story for another time. I know that's my soapbox, and I don't apologize for it. Yet even more hints, if you're trying to conceive and have been unable to or have a history of miscarriages and have been diagnosed with uh, MTHFR, is it important to address it? Yeah, because folate deficiencies, infertility, and miscarriages are directly linked. And the OBGYN, sh OBGYN should know the difference between folic acid and folate. Folate is what you need, and folic acid is not what you need, since people with MTHFR mutations have a hard time converting the folic acid into folate. Okay, uh, when you have a polymorphism, you're going to have uh, your enzymes aren't going to be working at 100%. Sometimes it doesn't express because the other enzymes that you have are taking up the burden, or you're having too much. Uh, too much traffic going through the MTHFR or whatever pathways you're talking about. Okay, it's all been, like I said, MTHFR has been linked to autoimmune diseases and lots of other things. And concerning birth control pills, okay, uh, if you have the MTHFR mutations, oral birth control pills have been known to reduce folate, so if, uh, if it's important that you have to take birth control pills, it would be prudent to be at least um, getting sources of natural folate in there. So some sage advice. Um, what do I do if my doctor doesn't want to run these tests or just wants to give me folic acid? Find it on the doctor, okay? Quite frankly, people, um, you can't swing a dead cat in the United States of America and not hit a doctor, okay? Let's face it, there's, you know, there's enough people who understand this now that you'll, you'll, get, a, you'll get a good doctor if you just look around. Okay, if your doctor tells you not to worry about the MTHFR, if you have a concern, find a doctor who understands MTHFR and, and when it is expressing and when there is something to worry about. And should MTHFR be the only test to be considered? No. It only makes sense to gather as much information as possible. The genuine reason for that MTHFR is associated with so many conditions is the presence and expression of other polymorphisms. And here is the point, people. That big list of conditions that are associated with methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase, those studies were done at a time when that's the only thing they were studying. So if somebody has something wrong, they would test for MTHFR and say, oh, look, they've got C677T. Oh, my God, this must be what's causing it. But now it's down the road, and we're seeing that there's a whole mess of polymorphisms that can occur, and different patterns create different things, and MTHFR is only a part of it. This is why I keep telling everyone, please get with somebody who understands the genetic polymorphisms and how to correlate them with your clinical condition, because in and of itself, MTHFR may or may not be a problem. Its association with lots of other polymorphisms raises the index of suspicion or the probabilities that there are problems when you start putting them together. But in and of itself, MTHFR is not the quintessential devil in these matters. MTHFR takes 510-methylene tetrahydrofolate and turns it into 
methyl tetrahydrofolate, and it helps the BH4 reaction, okay, in creating neurotransmitters. It's kind of stuck there in the cycle. It's not going to, like, travel around and start beating you up. You have to look at everything together, okay? Hopefully everybody laughed at that joke. Okay, so, anyway, I always like to end with some uh, levity, okay, which is kind of my my middle name. Everybody likes me because of my corny jokes, especially since the uh, the police out here know that I'm on the radio, so they're going to come running by with their sirens on because they think it's funny. Anyway, uh, a while ago I did, the, uh, I did a whole ditty on how do you know your healthcare provider, quote-unquote, does MTHFR methylation because everybody's putting up that flag these days. Hi, I do methylation, okay? So I created the top ten, five really, well, maybe six. Okay, so how do you know that this healthcare provider uh, really does know about MTHFR methylation. Well, number five, he keeps calling the MT, and keeps calling MTHFR the mother-father gene or something worse. Four, he can't explain what MTHFR does and how it leads to certain symptoms. Three, has a bewildered look on his face when you show him the pathways that you copied from Dr. Yasko or Dr. Ben. Conversationally, he made, number two, conversationally mentions other pathways but breaks sweat when you ask him or her, which of your SNPs are involved since he, hasn't te- since he hasn't tested them? One, you produce a list of polymorphisms and mention a few and watch them turn different colors when you ask them what they mean. By the way, ladies, there's nothing, and I repeat, nothing more frightening to a doctor than a woman with a list. Okay, when a, when a lady pulls out a list, you can see the doctors just simply turn white. And a little tip, always position yourself between the doctor and the door. If his office is higher than the second floor, he's trapped. And the biggest reason that you know that somebody doesn't really do THR methylation, drum roll, the quickest phrase that will send you screaming into the night out of their office is, there's no scientific scientific evidence that these or other SNFs have anything to do with your health, dear, besides it's all in your head. Uh, You find the doctor like that, I'll hold him down while you beat him up. Okay. Uh, as always, if you have methylation problems or you suspect you have methylation problems, uh, you should uh, seek a consult with somebody who is um, knowledgeable in the area. Of course, uh, I'm talking about myself or Sean Bean, uh, also Cynthia Smith, and there are others. So you can go to mthfrsupport.com. There's a list of doctors who understand methylation. Okay, our contact information is um, on the screen on page number 26 there. Uh, I offer um, a 15-minute get acquainted session to ascertain if I can help you. Other providers may or may not do this, but uh, if you call my number at 610-449-9716, you can schedule a session like that, and it's totally uh, without cost. And I like to do that because I can get a feeling for what's going on, and I can tell you honestly whether I can help you or not. Okay? So it is Q&A time. And anybody who would like to ask a question, they can either on the chat room, because I'm looking at the chat room right now, or you can call in at 646-595-2277. Okay, so um, let's see if there's any questions here on the chat room. All right. I did answer the one question about the uh, high folate levels or folic acid levels. Uh, You also should realize that a lot of people... um, use folate and folic acid interchangeably, especially in uh, vitamins. So you really have to look for if you're getting folate, like quadrifolate, 5-methylfolate, 
uh, you have to research it a little bit. Uh, and, the more, and the cheaper vitamins, they do tend to use folic acid. Folic acid, if you have an MTHFR uh, mutation, is probably not a good idea to, uh, to work with. So does anybody have any questions? Uh, the number is 646-595-2277. Uh, does anybody want to yell and scream at me about something? Okay, I'm good like that. I yell and scream back, but it's okay. All right, anybody on the chat room like to ask an MTHFR question? Okay, let's see here. Hi, nice person in the 330 area code. Yeah, I was just wondering uh, what type of other testing that you involve with the SNPs. Do you uh, do the 23andMe, or do you do any type of additional testing? Are you looking at all the SNPs? I know there's some liability issues there. If you could express uh, your thoughts on that, that would be greatly appreciated. Liability issues I'm not cognizant of. Um, if you're asking what, are you asking me what I do or what other things are available? Um, well, what, what you do. A little I bit of both? <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Well, I generally recommend the 23andMe, okay, and I'll tell you why. Because it's not what 23andMe, and I hope 23andMe is not listening, um, it's not that, you know, they are doing your ancestry or anything like that um, telling me. I know mine says I'm 2.3% 2, 2 Neanderthal. My ex-wife could have told you that. Okay, but um, what you get from 23andMe that you get from nowhere else is the raw data of your genome. Okay, there's no other company that will give you access to the raw data. You can download that raw data and put it through an application, a computer application that will draw out the polymorphisms. Those applications include Sterling's app at mthfrsupport.com, LiveWello, Genetic Genie. Uh, there are a few others, NutriHacker. Um, there's a bunch, okay? Um, I'm the most familiar with Sterling's app. And um, if you put the... And, it's dirt cheap too. It's like twenty bucks to to get on like a nineteen page report. It will give you the polymorphisms in a lot of different pathways: in the methylation pathway, the transsulfuration pathway. Uh, you'll have the um, mitochondrial pathways. You'll have all the polymorphisms for the detoxification pathways. And a healthcare provider can take your history and whatever testing you may have already had, and help you find answers where you haven't found answers before. There are a lot of alternative medicine docs and other doctors, too, who when you call them up to see them, they ask you to get a whole mess of tests, like a couple thousand dollars worth of tests before you see them. In my opinion, in my opinion that's throwing you-know-what against the wall and seeing what sticks. The proper way to do this would be to do a, uh, you know, a good history, find out what the issues are, find out why the issues are there, review the testing that's already been done before you order other testing. Okay, there's not just a test to be done. Okay, it's looking at the, um, the person's individual physiology and saying, okay, how come it, this person's not getting better? Is it the methylation pathway? Is that what the problems are? Okay. Um, is it the transsulfation pathway? Is the, the person's sulfur very, very high and they have brain fog and is that backing up the other pathways? And then you have to know how to treat it. So I'm... Uh, not being purposely vague, but unless you give me an, an absolute specific example, theoretically, okay, I you know, obviously can't treat anybody over the radio, but uh, that's the way I work things, okay? But you need to do – the 23andMe is better uh, than anything else because it's cheap, 
and it gives you a wide range of polymorphisms. And when you find new stuff, you can go back to your – go open up your account, go to your raw data, put the polymorphism that you're concerned about, and there it is. You can just search it yourself, okay, or your healthcare provider can search it um, with you, okay. And uh, as new things come up, you know, I think that the chip that they're using uh, looks for about 250,000 particular genes. It used to be 500,000, but um, they started using a different chip, I think, when the FDA gave them problems. Mm-hmm. Okay. Am I answering your question? Yeah, that was good. But you said you can update the raw data to MTHFR support? You can take the raw data, okay, uh, and if you go to MTHFR support, there's an explanation there of how you can download the raw data and then drop it into their application, their computer application, and that's how you can get a report generated. Uh, Let me tell you and everybody else listening that there are a lot of applications out there. Uh, Like I said, Genetic Genie, uh, NutriHacker and so forth. And, and, and I'm going to say something, and I'm probably going to get myself in trouble, but that's a habit with me. Uh, remember <laughs> that it is. I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> Sometimes I have to watch out when I walk out my door, you know. <laughs> no, it's like, it's like the allergists in the area. Like I call everything, I call anything that's got high IgG, IgA, I call that allergies. You know, and every once in a while they gather together with the pitchforks and the, you know, and, and, and the torches and, you know, kill the monster, you know, and I pick, pop my head out the window because I'm on the second floor. So I've got, you know, I've got the high ground. So <laughs> I pop my head out the window and say, is it okay if I call it hypersensitivity? And they all look at each other and say, okay, and they all go. You know? <laughs> but um, the fact is that uh, when you do one of these apps, even though there may be explanations associated with it, you have to realize that they're generalized explanations, that they don't necessarily apply to you. So if, you're, if you go through an application and it has this gene can cause these symptoms, that isn't necessarily you. And um, it's very difficult to treat yourself. And I always, I always joke with my patients, say a doctor who treats himself has got a fool for a patient. Okay, and it goes, the, you know, it's the same thing for patients. It's very, very, very tough to treat yourself, and there's a lot of overlap in symptomatology. So it takes somebody who's got a fairly eclectic background and who's got education, research, or training in this area to kind of put it together and say, okay, what's truly going on here? The benefit that the genes have given us is pointers and indicators about things that we may have not thought about before, like mitochondrial dysfunction, okay? And there's patterns that have been created and studied saying, oh my God, this is why this person doesn't want to get better because their oxidized glutathione is sticking in the first complex of the mitochondria and I'm looking at the polymorphisms and that means I should start looking here and when you start treating that, they start getting better. Because remember, the people I tend to treat are people who haven't found answers elsewhere and um, they come to me or Sean or Cynthia, anybody, anybody who has our training and we start looking at it from different points of view and the genes give us pointers. They're not absolutes. And that's what makes it difficult to do it. That's why I scare the heck out of researchers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And the Sterling app is was the one you recommend then. Yeah, it's the one I'm the most used to, and and it is the one I recommend. And it's uh, there's a, a second version coming out very very soon that's going to be phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Better explanation, more more polymorphisms. Um, I'm not allowed to talk about it because. Yeah, I don't 
know all that much about it, but from what I've seen, I'm going to, you know, it's very impressive. Very, very impressive. And, um, I'm sorry. Is that that is that app available on MTHFR? It will or? be very soon. Hopefully okay. in the next two two to four weeks. I, I and I can't. I won't. You know, put anything in Sterling's mouth. But I know that it's coming. I know that they're. You know, they're right, you're right in the beta testing phase, and they're really getting it um, getting it together. So, uh, you can do that. But I'd probably wait for the second version to come out in the next couple of weeks because you're going to have even more information to work with. Okay. okay uh, your time. Great seminar. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay. I have another question here. Oh, it's got a few minutes left here. Um, is there a test for leaky gut? Yes. Is it good? Eh. Okay. There's lots of different tests for leaky gut. Um, some of the um, – uh, there's a myriad of them, okay? The fact is, let me tell, you, let me tell everybody a little secret. Uh, because of how leaky gut is formed – Okay, by stress, toxins, um, you know, toxic metals, foods, toxicity. Anybody who has a chronic illness, anybody who's been under a lot of stressors for a long time, you can almost presume it. Okay, and you never, and you aren't going to be wrong. Okay, and remember that leaky gut, okay, or intestinal hyperpermeability, is going to be the reason for a lot of inflammation. Okay, inflammation is the thing that is bothering everybody. All right, inflammation is that thing that needs to be brought down because it's affecting the receptors, it's affecting this, it's affecting that. So if you presume that you have leaky gut, which that's why everybody goes after the gut, what's the treatment for it? Well, you've all, you've all seen my leaky gut seminar. We're not talking about, you know, thousands of dollars worth of uh, supplements or anything. We're talking about very simple protocols, okay, that actually work. And so the risk-benefit factor is very, very little risk and and immense amount of benefit. So instead of wasting money, in my estimation, on these tests, and lots, sometimes you do a bunch of testing and you get conflicting results and that causes a lot of confusion as to the root causes of things, it's probably good to presume that you have leaky gut and treat it and treat it correctly, which is the biggest problem I've seen is that leaky gut is not treated correctly. Okay, seal up that gut because when you seal up those cells, and you recreate that mucus layer, and you put the, the, the normal flora back in, and you seal up those cells. Not only are you sealing the cells of the gut, but you're sealing the cells of the brain, sealing the cells of the mitochondria, okay? You're sealing the cell walls of anything that has been kind of leaky. And when I say leaky, it means it's dysfunctional, okay? And this is, this is contributions to mast cell activation disease, a lot of autoimmune diseases because autoimmunity comes from long-term inflammation, and then it gets even longer term, you start getting into dysautonomia, and I know that I'm going to probably be jumped on the way out, but guess what? This is, this is, this is how I roll, and that's what I've seen in reality. Advice and tips on someone who has a thyroid removed and has a single mutation. Um, that, and has been struggling for years with insane fatigue and brain fog. I can tell you right off the bat that it isn't just the mutation, okay? It's a combination of things. So I'm going to defer on ask, answering that particular question because I don't want to give the uh, requester the, the idea that the 1298C single mutation is the only thing that one needs to look at. If your thyroid has been removed and you're having a bunch of brain fog, uh, we're talking about neurotransmitter imbalances. We're talking about 
uh, hormone imbalances. We're talking about lots of things. And the reason for that is that there's a hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, a hypothalamic pituitary thyroid axis, and a hypothalamic pituitary gonadal or hormone axis. And they all work together, okay? And the MTHFR mutations certainly don't make anything easier, but if you concentrate just on that, you're going to be missing the point. Okay, you're going to be missing something. So this is a really good example of you should look at everything together and say, okay, what is doing what? What's con- you know what's creating this? Uh, and you know, follow the um, the principles of bioindividualized medicine. Could I please elaborate on mitochondrial dysfunction? What markers are we looking for? What case history? Okay, um, the story the story is about mitochondrial dysfunction. There's mitochondrial disease and there's mitochondrial dysfunction. So let's make that differentiation. Mitochondrial disease, a lot of people are born with. Many, unfortunately, don't live very long because, well, into adulthood because uh, the mitochondria are simply not working. There's lots of reasons, and they're still, you know, researching that. But somebody with a chronic illness, one of the reasons that the illness becomes chronic is that the mitochondria aren't working like they should. What are the mitochondria? The mitochondria are those organelles in your cells that create energy. We all know that glucose or blood sugar creates energy. Well, one mole of glucose, and mole is not a furry animal, it's a number, okay, uh, creates 38 ATPs, 38 adenosine triphosphate. Uh, ATP is your actual energy. The glucose has to go through glycolysis, which breaks it down into lactate and pyruvate and two ATPs. And the lactate and pyruvate go into the Krebs cycle, which is just this honking amount of biochemical reactions. And the result of that is something called NADH2, NADH and FADH2. Those are electron donors that go into the mitochondria, the mitochondrial's electron transport chain. Coenzyme Q10 brings them in. If they sail through the whole five complexes of the chain, you get your other 36 ATPs. Now, when um, we were uh, working with the fluoroquinolone toxicity uh, people who um, are mitochondrial injured, no question, okay, uh, the common wisdom was they will never get better because they have mitochondrial DNA damage. And when we first uh, interviewed and, and did a show way back when, I noticed that certain people had resolved on their own and found out how they resolved. They, were, you know, they didn't get themselves re-injured. They um, had several, um, you know, they kept themselves on organic food and basically rebuilt their pathways. So Sean was sitting in front of me, and I hit him with a two-by-four because he's a big guy, and that got his attention. And I said, you're wrong. He hates to be told that. Okay, and I love him to death, by the way. And I said, if somebody can heal on their own, then it's possible. So, and, in tw- and I swear, this is a true story. He opened up his laptop and in 20 minutes handed me all the genes for the mitochondria. He said, it's all you, got up and walked out. And I swear I wanted to chase him down because I don't know how he does that. The man's brilliant. Okay, well, the whole research group, uh, Ben Lynch, Sterling, everybody jumped into it and we found out that you, there are part, we had the polymorphisms for all the different mitochondrial complexes. And depending on the pattern, the mitochondria would or would not work depending on how much oxidative stress, how much traffic, if you will, we're going through. So Ben Lynch is the one who actually 
discovered the reason why um, that's true. But we had discovered that NAD, IV NAD, would open up the mitochondrial pathways. And we had numerous examples of phloxies and other people being treated with IV NAD, especially alcoholics, and um, very, very quickly uh, improving. Uh, Dr. Ben Lynch found out why that was true, and the reason is is because uh, oxidized glutathione, when glutathione is used up, it becomes oxidized and gets stuck in that first complex and doesn't allow those electron donors into the mitochondrial pathway. Okay? So the marker that we look at to raise our index of suspicion are polymorphisms in the first and third uh, complexes, and that's the NDUFSs and the COX, okay, for um, cytochrome B oxidase. So those are the, the pattern you look for. And you see that pattern, I call it a floxy pattern, that's my name. Okay, that's the pattern I'm looking for. And then, believe me, when somebody doesn't want to get better, Okay, mitochondria is one of the great considerations because if you're going to heal, what do you need, people? You need good, solid detoxification pathways. Okay, you have to be able to detoxify, right? You need a good, solid folate methylation transsulfation pathway so you can methylate, okay, and you can create your glutathione, which is your master antioxidant and your master antitoxicant. And you need a patent energy pathway. Uh, if you don't believe that, okay, think about coenzyme Q10, which is the doorman to the mitochondria. Okay, that came here from Japan a couple decades ago, okay, because the Japanese dentists were treating periodontal disease with coenzyme Q10. came to the United States, and, you know, there was a big uproar. It got into multi-level marketing, and it became the new panacea. So guess what? It only works on about 30 or 40% of Americans because our diet is not all that deficient in coenzyme Q10, whereas the Japanese diet was very deficient in it. But regardless, the dentists were treating, successfully treating a disease, an infection, periodontal disease, by making the mitochondria work by utilizing coenzyme Q10, by making the mitochondria work. They didn't know it at the time, but that's exactly what was going on. So they had more ATP, the person started healing that's the idea of putting it together, okay? So um, case histories, <laughs> I'd have to go look at a couple to actually get all the numbers out. But um, this is why uh, Dr. Ben created the NADH and CoQ10 combination because it puts uh, NAD to open up the pathways. What NAD does is take that oxidized glutathione and turn it into reduced glutathione, which is the active form I'm sorry, the, um, the, yeah, the active form of glutathione. So when it gets used up, it's oxidized. When it's, you know, you get glutathione, it becomes reduced. Don't ask, don't ask me, oxidation reduction, okay? And that's the active form. That's when it's doing its work. So it kind of opens up that pathway, which is a little, which is, you know, restricted by the polymorphisms. And guess what? People start creating their ATPs, okay? Hopefully I answered that question. We got about a minute or two. Has anybody else got any more questions um, about MTHFR? And I hope I got across to everyone that MTHFR is important. Okay, there's no question, but it's not a devil in and of itself. You have to put it into place with other polymorphisms and your entire condition. I go on board all the boards, all the MTHFR boards. Okay, you'll see me pop in and pop out and pop in and pop out. Okay, but I consistently see people 
who are asking the same questions. They are not stupid by any stretch of the imagination. They are scared. Okay, they're scared because no one will sit down and say, okay, let's put it together. And usually they look at MTHFR after they've had bad health events like miscarriages and so forth. MTHFR is important, but not the only thing that needs to be looked at. Okay? Don't let a, a physician just throw 5-methylfolate at you because you have an MTHFR mutation. Okay? That works maybe 30% of the time. Okay? And if you take a methylating product like 5-methylfolate, okay, uh, one of three things is going to happen. This is the last thing I'm going to last clinical pearl, which I'm not supposed to be giving out anymore because I'm giving it classes, but guess what? I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to get myself in trouble yet again. Okay, there's three reactions you can have to methylating products depending on whatever, okay? One, you take it and you feel horrible all of a sudden, okay? Like after your first dose, you're like, oh my God, I don't feel well. Stop taking it, will you? Okay, oi. Two, you start taking it and you either don't feel anything or you feel a little bit better, Okay, so you kind of work your way up. I'm a, I'm a low and slow kind of guy. So I'll start with a quarter dose and go to a half dose, go to a full dose. Okay, and you're getting better. Like, oh, you're getting brighter. You can, you know, your brain's clearing up, stuff like that. But then after about a week or so, you, don't, you start not feeling well again. And sometimes you don't put it together that it's from the methylating products. Okay, and that could be methyl P12, 5-methylfolate, trimethylglycine, whatever you happen to be doing. Okay, and what's happening there is that the pathways are backing up and you're overmethylating. I realize that it's going to come out that overmethylation is a kind of an outdated concept, but, you know, that's the way it works. Or the third thing is that you build up to a normal dosage and you feel good and you hit the nail on the head. Okay, but be prepared for the other two. And if you feel like you've overmethylated, the fix is plain old niacin, the dollar store nicotinic acid. You know, um, it's like 25 or 50 milligrams an hour until you feel better. And uh, you may flush a little bit, but you're not going to, um, you know, you'll take care of the extra methylation. So, uh, again, you have to correlate with somebody who really understands because some people take a ton of niacin every day and create an, uh, a condition of undermethylation. Uh, it can get screwy, you okay? So, any other questions, people? Anything else I can help you with? Anybody else want to yell or scream at me? Oh, okay, nobody? All right. So, i got to tell you, I really appreciate, uh, I know that there's a lot of people out there, I see the, uh, the um, okay, um, I was advised that a neurotransmitter test would be a good idea is direct labs as, resi as reliable as Quest Labs? Um, hmm. The neurotransmitter tests I use are from, are from the Neuroscience Corporation, okay, it's the urinary neurotransmitter tests. Uh, any of the neurotransmitter tests that you get, uh, whether they're blood serum or uh, urine, are going to be a combination of central nervous system and the periphery. Okay, the only way to get central nervous system neurotransmitters is by doing a spinal tap, which I don't recommend. Okay. If there's anything that I that I uh, I can without wax, which is an old term meaning without any kind of um, haughtiness, say that I'm an expert in its neurotransmitters. Okay, I've been doing that for well over a decade, and you know I uh, I have a nickname. Uh, I'm, 
they call me the neurotransmitter whisperer because I can look at the test and tell you exactly what has happened in your past life, so to speak. Uh, understand that it's not the exact number, it's the pattern, okay, of the balance of excitatory and inhibitory neurotransmitters, and you have to correlate that with the history as well. Is there one lab better than another? Honestly, not really. Okay, uh, there's some labs, you know, who are very new that I, I don't see a track record on them. Quest or LabCorp or Direct Labs or um, Neuroscience, that do very, very good work, okay? Uh, I'm more used to neuroscience. They give me a much better, a much larger amount of uh, neurotransmitters, and I know how the tests were done, okay? And I know how, um, how to look at those patterns. But it's kind of the same thing. You have to look at the pattern and then know what to um, do about it. So um, hopefully I answered that question. It's not as easy as, oh, let's take 5-hydroxytryptophan um, to raise serotonin. Uh, if the dopamine's very, very high, if the serotonin's very, very low, if the GAB is not where it belongs, you have to know what kind of products to use, how to balance it, what to look for, uh, because you can't just throw a bunch of 5-hydroxytryptophan to somebody who has very, very low serotonin because those receptors have been atrophied, and you're going to actually cause them to have uh, an opposite reaction. If you use tryptophan and they have a lot of uh, pro-inflammatory cytokines, a lot of inflammation, in other words, it's going to go down an, uh, an alternate pathway called the chiorenin pathway, create something called quinolinic acid, which is going to excite the system instead of calming the system down. You've got to know what you're talking about. Okay? But uh, whatever neurotransmitter tests you do, okay, there should be a, uh, at least... Uh, inhibitory and excitatory neurotransmitters, inhibitory being serotonin, um, GABA, okay, excitatory is epinephrine, norepinephrine, phenylethylamine, dopamine, um, things like that. They should at least be in there. How do I feel about lithium orotate? Um, what I understand about lithium orotate is that it helps the transfer of B12 into the cells. Okay, it's generally safe because you're using about 5 milligrams and most people think of lithium as what's, being, what's used to treat bipolar disorder. That's lithium carbonate, and it's used at the 1,000, 1,500 milligram uh, per day range. Lithium orotate uh, is used at 5 milligrams, and if that's the reason that you're not absorbing your B12, you'll see a pretty good uh, improvement in the condition. How do you know you're not absorbing B12? Well, the indicator would be a high B12 on your serum tests. Okay, The best way to know is to have... Um, an RBC or white blood cell uh, B12 or folate count. That can be done by different labs, and you know what's actually getting into the cells. You combine the two, and you'll know exactly what's going on. Okay, anybody else have questions? You guys are asking really good questions. I love that. Okay, I really do, honestly. You, got, you know, I have the pleasure of um, working with a, a ton of different people, and a lot, and you know, the, the research done by lay people has been amazing. I guess you guys really understand better than most doctors. Okay. Um, a different kind of question. Can dogs have methylation issues such as, uh, as breeds that are prone to cleft palate, spina bifida, and midline defects? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest. I honestly don't know. Okay, I honestly don't know. It would make sense to me that since they're mammals, they're going to be prone to similar things. Okay, but 
I don't even know how, well, I know how I would look something like that up, okay? Um, but I also don't know what testing has been done with canines or felines. Um, we'll have, I have the same problem with neurotransmitters with, uh, with animals. There just isn't enough research out there to take their neurotransmitters and say, okay, this is what needs to be done, okay? And unfortunately, that uh, you know, brings us to trial and error sometimes. So I apologize, I can't answer that question with any, um, any authority because I simply don't know. Any other good questions, guys? I tell you, like I said, uh, I saw, um, not a cartoon, uh, a, uh, something on the Facebook where it says the, the, most, um, the best researcher in the world is a scared mommy and had this mother on the computer. And I was like, yes, that's true, because most of the moms that I deal with who have children with difficulties are the best researchers I have ever met. Okay, all I usually have to do is kind of correlate the research for them. Um, do I see a lot of uh, high amount of patients with Lyme and metal conditions? I think you mean mental conditions, uh, unless I'm reading it wrong. Okay, uh, yes, I do. Okay, uh, Lyme will cause, uh, especially neural Lyme, okay, will cause a dysregulation of the neurotransmitters and cause an expression of mental illness. Okay, um, there is a doctor in um, Manhattan, New York City, um, his name escapes me now, uh, that was treating um, schizophrenia that was recalcitrant to every medication out there by treating Lyme and had a very high success rate. Okay, his name escapes me at the moment, but, um, oh, I'm sorry, not mental, heavy metal. Okay. <laughs> sorry about that. Okay, I, I, I kind of just presumed. Um, but um, does Lyme and heavy metals, um, does Lyme cause heavy metal retention? I don't think so. I think that there are there are other genes like APOE and so forth that will um, kind of raise your index of suspicion of heavy metal um, involvement. Uh, but directly, I haven't seen where Lyme and heavy metals, uh, Lyme causes heavy metal um, heavy metal uh, retention. Okay, but uh, certainly um, they all have. Um, they, I'm sorry, I'm reading and talking at the same time. I should never do that. Uh, my days of multitasking are over, believe me. Uh, do most people tested with fibromyalgia have MTHFR? Uh, I would say yes, okay, but MTHFR may not be a causative agent there. It may be one of many causative agents. Anything like fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, uh, as I've uh, talked about in, in, in other uh, podcasts, uh, have a, are spectrum disorders and have a lot of um, root causes, okay, and, or, and root causes that have started uh, working together to create the expression of fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue or something else like that. Is MTHFR um, part of that? Yes, it is. Okay, is it the only thing? No. My answer is always the same. We have to look at everything. And fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue and, and any of the hidden illnesses is uh, mainly what I treat. Uh, it's... it's um, it um, it's tough, but it it requires uh, some real good thinking. Um, okay, and let me see if there's a couple of questions right here. Let me get to them. 
Um, not sure if this is the right place to ask this question, but this is great info, but too much for my brain, so complex. Do you work with clients out of state remotely through Skype? Yes. Uh, my, my standard joke is, do you think my Australian patients fly in to see me? Okay. I started today in Germany, okay, and I ended up here, but I usually start in Germany, then I'm in London, then uh, I may be in Calgary, um, then throughout the United States, and then maybe Australia towards the end of the day. Uh, no, I work on Skype all the time, okay, uh, or over the phone. Okay, if somebody needs to be physically, uh, you know, some physical intervention, I will refer them to a, a local practitioner. But mostly what I'm doing is um, correlating uh, what's going on and, and um, counseling uh, nutritionally. Uh, and, of course, um, uh, I did, like I said, I, um, Sean, and our colleagues all work like that. And uh, that's why we're looking to train other doctors and other healthcare providers and lay people. Okay, to understand, I believe empowering people is the best way in the world to reduce symptomatology because when you decrease fear and increase understanding, okay, you decrease um, pain and dysfunction uh, dramatically, dramatically. If you understand what's going on, the worst feeling in the world is having any kind of chronic pain, anything that you consider chronic, and not knowing where it's coming from. And what makes that worse is the people around you don't see it. So they start indicating, and your doctors start indicating it's all in your head, you know, you're making it up, you're looking for secondary gain. I mean, I, I know all the excuses. Okay, I've heard them all. I've seen it. And no one deserves to be treated like that. Okay, and it's not just patting people on the head. It's, you know, an honest, let's find out what's going on, guys, kind of thing. Uh, unfortunately, uh, most of us, uh, don't take insurance directly. We give you receipts for insurance. The reason we don't take insurance directly is not because um, of anything that I would have to hire an entire staff to chase after every insurance company around the country and around the world. So I usually give people receipts with the proper coding, and they, um, uh, they if, if there is reimbursement available, they get their reimbursement, and it happens more often than, uh, than not. Okay, and MTHFR and this type of thinking, uh, bioindividualized medicine, has um, hit mainstream. And there are so many MDs and DOs and other actual physicians, you know, real doctors, who are looking to learn this. Okay, it was an idea that, you know, started out like a little campfire, and now it's a raging inferno. Inferno? 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 Yeah, whatever's good English. Okay, and believe it or not, it's an idea whose time has come. And you know who's responsible, responsible for it, people? You are. It was my idea. It was Sean's idea. We put it together. We started, you know, the idea going. But then as we spoke to people, they were like, yeah, that's, that's the idea. That's what we should do. And they started demanding it of their healthcare providers. So the reason this is taking off and the reason that the healthcare is going to get better is because of you, not because of me of you guys. Okay, you, you're demanding to say, hey, we're not going to put up with a chronic fatigue, fatigue syndrome diagnosis. That doesn't tell us anything. Okay, you're not going to tell me I have autoimmune disease because just because I have the genes for it doesn't mean I have to have it. So unless you know why it's happening, I'm going to smack you around. You better learn it. So it's not even from jumping from doctor to doctor. Doctors are saying, to my, you know, there's an answer out there. I didn't know there was an answer. Okay, I didn't know I could find answers. 
okay? And it's not because of me. It's because of you guys, okay? And that's why I work so hard to, to bring this to you, okay? And it's a lot of work. Believe me, these PDFs, <laughs> you think I just throw them together. They take around 10 hours a piece to do, and I spend all weekend doing them. <laughs> That's because I'm slow and I don't know how to use PowerPoint, so don't worry about it. So, um, uh, yes, I do use medical insurance codes. Okay, so um, so anyway, uh, it is uh, almost time to leave. Okay, if there's any other uh, quick questions. Okay, and, um, you know, you hear me at the end, I usually say encouraging things, and I really mean it because you guys are the best, you know. Thank you guys so much. So, Listen, I'm going to sign off, okay? You have my contact information if you need to ask questions. Please do, okay? And I really thank you so much for being here and to hanging on with my babblings, especially at the beginning, okay? Because it sometimes takes me a little, a little while to get, uh, get uh, cranked up and going. So you guys have a great week. Um, with the marriage of mthfrsupport.com and uh, bioindividualized medicine, uh, we're going to have a whole lot of people we're going to be interviewing, um, and believe me, I will make sure that it is to everyone's benefit and so that we're learning stuff and not in, and they're not going to be just selling their wares. Okay, because guess what? You know, this is my field and we're doing it, going to do it my way. All right? I love you all, and I will see you all again hopefully next week. It's been a long road getting from there. And yes, people, it has been a long road. But you guys are doing great. You are the reason that the doctors are demanding this information. Because you're expecting it of them. Remember, doctor is just a person, just like you and I. They're not any smarter than you. Okay, they're just more experienced in certain areas. And believe it or not, a lot of doctors don't know that they're bring them information. Okay, they're pretty appreciative. But you keep it up. You have strength. Soul has strength. Okay, you keep it up. Nobody can bend or break you. Okay, not even those around you. Okay, understand. There are answers. Okay? You guys have a good week.